I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we continue our chronological trip through the New Testament, and as we're in the Gospels, we're looking at each of the Gospel accounts in parallel as the events took place. Today we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 7 in its entirety, and Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 49. Now it's critical to understand that you cannot understand the concepts that are dealt with here in this passage without understanding exactly what Jesus means when he talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. If you're not quite sure about that distinction, then I suggest you refer back to my written notes or the Bible podcast for February 2nd, where before I dealt with Matthew chapters 5 and 6, the Sermon on the Mount, I explained in detail what the kingdom of God slash kingdom of heaven really means. Now let's get a little bit of perspective before we start reading our passages today. Jesus Christ is still preaching the what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom of heaven continues being discussed as it was in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6. Also we saw the first part of this and beginning with Luke chapter 6 verse 17. This message takes place somewhere between the second and third Passover feast of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus is likely somewhere in Galilee during this period of time as he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Now Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Keep in mind, talking about the Sadducees and the Pharisees being so judgmental here. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Now for the same portion of this message by Jesus, but from Luke's perspective, beginning with Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not that ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but every one that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. 
Big-time judges of others. That's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. And they were mean-spirited, too. They're quick to point out the least little infraction of the law, but were blatant violators of the very spirit of the law. We saw that in Matthew chapter 5. As a matter of fact, Jesus mentions the Pharisees by name in this discourse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, when he says this, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus points out that they are not qualified to pass judgment on others because of this. Notice what Jesus says about them in Luke chapter 6, verse 39. Can the blind lead the blind? That's also the point of the analogy that Jesus gives regarding the small splinter in one's eye. That's the one being judged compared to the giant beam in the eye of another. That's the one doing the judging. Let's itemize the concepts that Jesus touches in this grouping of verses from both perspectives, from Matthew's perspective and from Luke's. First of all, the Pharisees and Sadducees are all about judging, not ministering at all. We saw that in Matthew 7, 1 and Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Secondly, judgment and forgiveness will be returned to one in the same proportion extended. We saw that in Matthew 7, 2 and Luke 6, 38. Then an analogy is given regarding blindness as the result of an obstacle in one's eye. Matthew 7, 3-5, Luke 6, 39-42. And finally, these Jewish leaders are like scavengers, dogs, pigs. They can't be trusted with spiritual things. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. This passage has suffered significant abuse by the live and let live crowd. They particularly like to isolate verse 1, which says, Judge not that you be not judged. Isn't it amazing how many people have memorized that verse? They pull it completely out of context in which Jesus spoke these words. They use it to criticize those who take a stand for righteousness among those who flaunt their sin. The point here is that the Pharisees practice a false, high-profile, in-your-face, superficial kind of righteousness, the Pharisees were, in fact, corrupt. They weren't righteous at all. That's the context in which Jesus accuses these Pharisees regarding their quick-to-judge practices. In fact, believers are to take a stand for righteousness and shun believers who practice sin. That's just scriptural. You see that principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. That verse says, But now I have written to you not to keep company. Now listen. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. The Greek word for eat there is estheo, which means to have fellowship with. But be careful. Make certain that while you're separating yourselves from Christians practicing wickedness, you don't have glaring inconsistencies in your own Christian testimony. Another verse that's been very misused is Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It's been misused by those who raise money for their own, well, let's say, broadcast ministries. Verse 38 says, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. In this same judge not context, Jesus is telling the people they should be generous with people instead of judging them. This is not a verse on giving your tithes and offerings to the church or any other ministry. 
As a matter of fact, Matthew's rendition of this verse is found here in verse 2, which says, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. When you read it in context, I mean the context of the passage, it's very plain to see that the sense in which Jesus says these words is about forgiveness. As a matter of fact, money doesn't appear to be the object of this verse at all. It is forgiveness. If you're generous with your forgiveness, then people will be generous as they forgive you. And this also encompasses friendly assistance. Obviously so, when you compare both accounts, Matthew and Luke, we'll get some additional insight on this as we get down in chapter 7 here of Matthew to verses 7 through 12. Only slightly veiled, Jesus compares these Jewish leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, to blind people leading others and to scavengers in Matthew 7 verses 3 through 6 and Luke 6 verses 39 to 42. While we tend to read right through these verses without realizing the full impact on the audience, there must have been at least a few red-faced Jewish leaders in the crowd that day as Jesus was speaking. Now, more on the generosity toward others, we see this in verses 7 through 12 of Matthew chapter 7. Verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, it's interesting to note that these six verses, verses 7 through 12, they're on prayer and they're really given as an analogy to illustrate the point of verses 1 through 6. In that passage, Jesus is talking about being generous, not judgmental toward other people. In other words, just as God is generous toward us as his children, we should be generous toward others. That's the point Luke emphasizes from this monologue by Jesus in verse 38, Luke 6, 38. And you can see it as well in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, when Jesus says, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. In the process of making this point, however, Jesus points out that God wants to meet our needs. Jesus here emphasizes the conversational aspect of prayer. He's referring to a comfort level that every believer should have with God that causes them to stay in a constant state of prayer, asking, seeking, and knocking. Jesus further compares that to how parents answer the persistent petitions of their children, their own children. So here's the point. Just as God loves us and wants the best for us, we should love others and want the best for them. Now, when that's our attitude toward others, well, it'll come back proportionately. And regarding persistent conversational prayer with God, well, Paul has a lot to say on the issue when he discusses it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and says, simply pray without ceasing. He likewise instructs another church, the one at Colossae, Colossians 4, 2, when he says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. These comments are similar to those made by Jesus again much later in his ministry, and those are recorded in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 10.
Then we come to chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 of Matthew. Talk about the big road and the little road. Verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I think that if you'd been a Pharisee sitting there that day, verses 13 and 14 would have just cut you to the quick. To whom do you suppose Jesus is referring as he warns against those who are taking this broad way to destruction? The Sadducees and Pharisees, maybe? We know that Jesus had no respect whatsoever for their manufactured religious practices. Well, it's the same today. The popular religious crowd presents the broad way, while Jesus in John fourteen six says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the narrow way. There are those who say they subscribe to the precepts of Scripture, but who are also open to the value of other contrary religions. Alternative means whereby one might supposedly attain eternal life. As a matter of fact, evangelical Christians are often demeaned and even ridiculed for taking the position that one can only go to heaven by trusting Jesus Christ as one Savior. When faced with the intense questioning on my position, I simply quote John fourteen six. Let me say it again. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It simply cannot be stated more clearly or more simply than that. And it really requires no explaining or even interpretation. It is what it is. There's nothing like quoting the clear words of Jesus when answering questions on eternal life. So again, let me emphasize, someone says, well, do you think there's other ways to get to heaven instead of through Jesus? I don't have to give my opinion on that. I just have to quote Jesus. And Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So then if they say, well, what does that mean? Then I simply say, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Listen, it says what it says, and it is what it is. So who are these false prophets Jesus is talking about? Well, it gets into that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now the same words of Jesus, same message, but from Luke's perspective in verses 43 to 46 of Luke chapter 6. Verse 43. For a good tree bringeth forth not corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. 
For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Now for the transition from the Broadway to destruction. We see that in verses 13 and 14. Could it be that here Jesus is calling these Jewish leaders false prophets? Well, let's see. He says in verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Jesus has been talking about their fruits. They were corrupt. In other words, they faked righteousness. As a matter of fact, Jesus mentions the Pharisees in this discourse when he started out in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. There he said that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, everyone agrees that the fruits of a false prophet are corrupt because of spiritual corruption. And what happens to those who are spiritually corrupt? Well, see verse 19. They're hewn down and cast into the fire. And then just analyze the fruit, verse 20. Isn't it just classic how that Jesus was able to categorize these Jewish leaders with the false prophets without actually saying so directly? You should notice that Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 correspond to Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45 from two different accounts of the same message that day. The in-your-face application for this corrupt fruit analogy is actually found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, and Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Since Matthew was more graphic and detailed with his rendition of the closer, let's consider once again his words here. He says this in Matthew seven twenty-one: Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's verses 21 through 23. But these Jewish leaders had really, really good resumes, right? Well, I don't know. Look again at verses 21 to 23. A lot of religious people are in for a big surprise. Could it be that a righteous-looking resume isn't what God is looking for at all? God is looking for a heart that's surrendered to Him. Even though these Jewish leaders had appeared as sheep, they were actually wolves. They did not have the best interest of the common everyday Jews in mind, not at all. Hmm... Is Jesus really calling these very religious leaders wolves? Absolutely. To verify it, let's look closely at the wording of Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Both verbs, the word call, kaleo, and the word do, poieo, are in second person and they are plural verbs. That's the equivalent of our southern expression, y'all call, and y'all do. In short, Jesus is actually addressing the guilty people of this passage right there in his audience. 
One more thing. Notice Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. That corresponds to the message of Holy Spirit leadership of believers that we see in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Listen to that by the words of Paul himself. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The very condemnatory words of these Jewish leaders in Jesus' day were actually self-condemning. Evil men speak evil things, and God-led men speak godly things. It's really just that simple. Now, in wrapping this sermon this day up, Jesus gives a warning about heeding what they just heard. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Alright, now over to Luke, chapter 6, verse 47. Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house, and digged deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Well, Jesus' message here was packed full of spiritual indicators. So here's the invitation. Do you go on as you were? Or will you respond to the call for true holiness? I mean a holiness of the heart. Notice what Matthew says about the teaching of Jesus on this occasion in verse 29. He says, For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Jesus gave them a house built on a rock teaching as opposed to the house built on sand teaching of the professional teachers. Those were the scribes. If it needs to be spelled out more clearly, here it is. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day were, in fact, religious, but they had no foundation for their religious practice. Jesus is issuing an invitation to establish one's faith on the rock of the truth of God's Word through Jesus Christ. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.